Hello, you're listening to Be Still and Know, a ministry of Carmen United Church in Sydney Mines. I am Reverend Nick Phillips, and today we are looking at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, Jesus tempted in the wilderness. But before we begin, I invite you to join me in prayer. Lord, we gather here today ever thankful for your presence among us, ever thankful that we can gather as a community to share in our love for you and to learn and grow together in you. And so, Lord, as we gather today, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Now, isn't it hard to believe it's 2020? I remember as a kid in elementary school, and we, part of the class was figure out how old you're going to be in 2000. And I remember thinking back then that 26 years old seems so, so far away. And now I think 26-year-old seems so far, far away, meaning so long ago. There's been a lot of reminiscing of the year 2000 lately, kind of as that 20th anniversary goes by, believe it or not, it's been 20 years. People remembering the scare of Y2K, which was thankfully a non-event because of people who worked around the clock to make sure it didn't happen. I was one of them. It is hard to believe that that was 20 years ago. It seems like yesterday at times. Bev and I joke with the kids at 1990s, that was only 10 years ago. Maybe it's because we've been watching a lot of 90s shows lately, I don't know. It just reminds, or maybe it reminds us of our dating years, maybe. But even in the year 2000, I was, I, there's no way I was sure of what was, my life would look like in the year 2020. I can assure you that the life I'm living right now was nowhere in the cards for 2000, Nick. There's nothing... To, in my life that I think I would have predicted right now. But I'm not complaining because we have nothing to complain about living here in Cape Breton right now at this time. How does your life right now in 2020 compare with what you might have thought it would in the year 2000? How have these 20 years been for you? Is it pretty much what you've expected? Is it better? Is it worse? Maybe a bit of both? As you reflect on these 20 years, is there anything you, that's, that you're missing from your life that you feel like you're missing? It's maybe something you've lost. Maybe you've found something in the last 20 years that you didn't realize you had. Again, maybe it's a bit of both. Life is a balance. It's kind of in those first few weeks of the new year, we like to reflect back on what was, right? Something about flipping that calendar that just makes us reminisce about years gone by. What, have I, what might have I done differently over those years? What if I'd chosen this path? What if I had not met this person? What if I had met this person? We make choices every single day. Some are big, some are small. Some are life-changing, some are small and meaningless, insignificant. Sometimes you don't realize what the impact the decision had on us until years have gone by, maybe, and we've had a chance to sit and reflect. Now, we have missed a few Sundays of late. We've missed some sort of, uh, some of the annual traditions of the church. We've missed uh, Epiphany, celebrating the wise men coming. 
We've missed uh, the Sunday where we typically remember the baptism of Jesus, which we're still going to do today. But we're going to look at today, we're going to look at what happened to Jesus just after he was baptized. The reason I've chosen this text for today because it kind of sets us up for what comes next. Believe it or not, the next few months we're going to spend looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is three chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. So next week we're going to start Matthew chapter 5. We're going to spend, I think it's about three months, looking at what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. But today we're going to look at what happens just as he begins, right before he really begins his ministry. He's been baptized, he's come up, the dove of the Holy Spirit has come down, he's heard the words, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then what happens? This is before he begins to preach, before he uh, heals people, before he even picks his disciples. What happens next? Jesus heads off into the wilderness for 40 days of preparation, 40 days of prayer, 40 days of fasting. Wouldn't it be great if we could just leave everything behind for like a month and spend it in prayer? Wouldn't that be amazing? I'm not so sure about the fasting part, but the prayer part I can get behind. I do know people who have, who have fasted for long periods of time, some of them even a full 40 days. And I say to them, good for you. I don't think I could do it. I've done a three-day fast before, and that's not easy either. Although I'm told that after about the first week, your body begins to adapt, and you don't crave the food quite so much. I don't know if I can risk it. But you never know what God has in store. Prayer is important. There's no question about it. Prayer is our conversation time with God. We speak and God speaks to us. And if you're not sure you, you can hear God when you pray, then stay after church and do our Hearing God workshop. I promise you that God will speak to you and that you will learn to hear His voice. I promise you that. But the fasting part, even if I'm completely honest about my aversion towards it, fasting is also important. There's something about giving up our physical need and depending on God. There's something about giving up that physical need that enhances our spiritual life. It's, it's like our hunger for food becomes our hunger for God, and we let God feed us through His Spirit as a replacement for our physical needs. I'll have to get Bev up here sometime to, to teach on fasting. She, teaches, uh, she has a good lesson on it, and she does fast on a semi-regular basis, not quite like what we might think of fasting. There are different ways to fast. And so some Sunday we'll have to get Bev up here to, to teach us about fasting. Fasting and prayer, they go hand in hand. The reason to fast is to deepen your relationship, your experience of God and your prayer time. It's to enhance your spiritual hunger. And there are many different ways to do it. For the purpose of today's message, we're not going to go any further depth into fasting except to say what's already been said. Fasting is an important way to connect with God in cooperation with prayer. It must be done alongside prayer. It worked for Jesus, and it will work for us too if we choose that path. So, back to Jesus. After Jesus has spent these 40 days praying, he has a visitor. Not a very welcome visitor, though, is it? 
Isn't that always the way? You, you, you're busy working all day, you're tired, you're hungry, you're cranky. All you want to do is get something to eat and go to bed. But somebody calls you up or knocks on the door. And it's never your best friend, is it? It's always usually the person that you would want to see the least at that moment. Someone you, you can't deal with on your best of days at times, let alone when you're tired, hungry, and cranky. For Jesus, who is it that looks him up after 40 days of fasting? It's the devil. No one that anyone wants to see, even on their best of days. And as what happens with unwanted visitors, the devil tries to take advantage of Jesus in his weakened state. Why, you look hungry there, Jesus. Why don't you take these stones, turn them into bread, and feed yourself? So how does Jesus reply? He quotes Scripture. Deuteronomy 8, 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on the very word that comes from the mouth of God. Now let's expand on that, because Jesus only reads a short portion of that verse. There's a long, it's a longer verse, so what does it say? It says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This whole discussion in Deuteronomy 8, when you look at the wider chapter, is about, God, is about how God has provided for the Israelites during their 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness, as Moses led them out of slavery towards the promised land. God has fed them with food they've never seen before. But more than that, he tested them to see if they would be able to follow his instructions to see if they would rely on him for all their needs. And as you read through that 40 years, sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. Yet when we look at Jesus, after 40 days of prayer and fasting, he trusted in his Father God to provide for him, and he did. Now Jesus didn't eat any food for those 40 days, and his body was pretty weak, I would imagine, but he was spiritually fed. He was spiritually strong. So strong that when he was tempted by the devil about something, he probably wanted more than much of anything else, but a little taste of bread. He was so spiritually strong that he was able to resist that temptation, and he had a word of Scripture on his tongue to reply with. He was able to rely, to, to resist the temptation of the devil, which was to rely on your own deeds, and he was able to trust in God. Now, the devil's not a stupid man. He, he realizes that Jesus has re replied with Scripture. So, okay, then. The next temptation comes with a scriptural reference. Now, the devil takes Jesus up to the top of the temple, probably the highest point in the city, and he says, jump. And then he quotes Psalm 91. He says, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, sure, okay, there's a piece of Scripture that says God will lift you up. But it has nothing to do with jumping off a building. And both the devil and Jesus are well aware of this. The Scripture is about making our home in the Lord. That He is our refuge. He is our strength. 
It's not about a physical home. He's talking about a spiritual home. Now, sure, there are physical blessings to, to having our spiritual home in the Lord. There's even, uh, the Lord will protect us from harm at times, even physical harm occasionally. But those tend to come when we least expect it, not when we're climbing on top of buildings to jump off to see if God will catch us. So Jesus knows this, and he responds with more scripture. This time, Deuteronomy 6.16, he says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, the context of that short piece is significant. And again, they both know the context of the quote. When you look at Deuteronomy 6, it's talking about who do we worship. We are to worship God and no one else. We are to keep his commands, not to test him, but to do what is right in the Lord's eyes. By doing so, then we receive the promises of God. Now, to jump off a building expecting God's angels to swoop down and scoop us up, this is not worshiping God. This is listening to false teaching. And when you're listening to false teaching, that means we're worshiping a false God. And Jesus will have none of that. Thank you very much. So the devil goes into his bag of tricks one more time to pull out one more temptation. He takes Jesus to the top of the mountain and said, All of this, everything you can see, this whole world will be yours if you bow down and worship me. Offers him power. Offers him control. Offers him what people for generations, for thousands of years have sought in this world unlimited power, with no accountability, to do whatever he pleases without consequence. We see this happen a lot. How many people would just jump at this opportunity, no questions asked? Unlimited power to rule the world however you wish. We see this happen a lot as people seek to gain political positions of power throwing away any hint of accountability or even responsibility. Don't like the way things are going? Drop a bomb on a political rival in the Middle East. That'll take the focus away from whatever we don't want people talking about. This kind of unlimited power is dangerous. Even as though it sounds good that it's being offered to Jesus, we can trust Jesus, right? We, we, we'd expect him to make all the proper decisions and everything would be great. Good things will happen. But even Jesus knows that such power corrupts. And he knows it would not go well in the long run. Because it would elevate him above God. Jesus knows better than this and he quotes again for Deuteronomy 6, this time verse 13. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The kind of power the devil is offering is not worshiping, it's not serving God. Jesus being asked to worship the devil to receive personal gain at the cost of his mission to save the world. Jesus cannot turn his back on what he was sent here to do. He loves us, he loves you too much to do so. Meanwhile, there are men and women all over this world clamoring for the, such, for, for the kind of power Jesus is being offered. And Jesus refuses it. 
He knows it's not the way to save the world. There's a better plan. Having the right person in the White House does not save the world. Bowing down before sin and the devil does not save the world. There's only one way to save the world. Worship God, follow Him, and serve Him. That's the only way. Since the very beginning, people have sought power in an effort to protect someone or something, but it hasn't worked yet, has it? But when people bow down and they worship God, when they follow His commands, His ways, that's when things start to turn around. It's never been this grand moment from governments and nations. Jesus works on the ground. Jesus works in the streets. Jesus changes the world through a grassroots movement, through, not through an empire, not through a president or prime minister or a king. Jesus does it as a servant of our Most High God. And Jesus has shown this again and again and again and again and again and again. That's how we change the world. Not by electing the right leaders. We've been trying that for hundreds of years. How's that working out for us? It's about loving our neighbors. It's about serving one another. It's about taking care of our own little part of the world and letting it spread naturally as God's love extends and is shared from person to person. You want to change the world? Love your neighbor and teach them how to love their neighbors who will then teach their neighbors how to love and so on and so on. Jesus has shown us that we must submit to the will of God in our lives, just as he has, starting with those 40 days in the wilderness, fasting and praying, receiving instructions from the one who knows the way, the best way for the people of this world to live, the one who created it all, our God, our Father in heaven. We would do well to follow by his example, by praying regularly, even fasting now and again. This allows us to receive our own instructions from God about how we can best serve him, just as Jesus spent those 40 days learning how he could best serve. How we can best serve our neighbors in our own little corner of this place we call home. We still have much to learn about what it means to be a child of God, and we can spend our entire lives learning it. In fact, we should when we put our trust in our God and worship and serve Him. Let us pray. Father God, we, we thank You that You have not left us alone. That in the face of temptation, You have given us an example in Jesus Christ on how to deal with these temptations. And that is to know your word and your will for our lives. So Lord, as we continue through this day and every day, may our hearts burn with a desire to know you more and to love and serve only you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Be Still and Know, a ministry of Carmen United Church in Sydney Mines. To learn more about our ministry, please visit our website, 
www.carmenunited.ca. May God bless you this day.